This is The Kicker, a podcast about journalism and media from the Columbia Journalism Review. I'm Pete Vernon. This week, there's really only one story that we and the national media have been focusing on. It began last week with reports of children ripped from their parents and a tense showdown in the White House briefing room. Then, reporters and anchors flocked to the border, blanketing the airwaves with coverage of the administration's family separation policy. Finally, on Wednesday, President Trump responded to public and political pressure, signing an executive order attempting to end the crisis he created. So, Noska, to start generally, what did you think? What was your reaction to the coverage and to the events of the last week? I mean, I have been... I'm always sort of stunned when we have these news events where we suddenly seem to be able to break through. The media seems to be able to break through to the general population and to really build on and capitalize on um, a, a public feeling that something that's happening in the administration is wrong. It happens so rarely, and we saw it, for instance, a few months ago with Parkland that suddenly, you know, we had had this horrible news cycle where it was, you know, one day one thing, another day another thing. We didn't seem to be able to stick the Trump administration to its own words. And I think the Parkland students sort of showed us how to do it. And now we're seeing it again, where finally we have a news story that is really sticking in people's minds. And, you know, even though yesterday Trump said that he was going to end the family separation policy, we still have people who are interrogating whether or not the people who the children who have already been separated and are you know now hundreds of them are apparently in New York we 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 have people in, you know in the media and in the population now who have not stopped caring even though it has led to a policy change and i think that's really impressive yeah i think that i don't know whether it's the public pressure that came first that drew the media to the story or the media's coverage that drew the public pressure. Um, I think that's an interesting discussion. But the fact that you've had from digital outlets to legacy print organizations to networking cable news all descend on the border, largely in Texas, to report on this, it's an impressive dedication of resources on a topic that seems to have, you know, one side broad public feeling. Um, the Obviously, the Trump administration, some of his media backers have taken a different side. Uh, but what, if anything, do you think was the key in this? Was it the ProPublica audio? Was it just the, the weight of all of this coverage happening in a pretty concise period of time? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's, it's partially it's a very relatable thing. It's not just like criminal immigrants are, I mean, I totally, just for the record, I completely disagree with uh, with calling people criminal or illegal who cross the border. But um, that narrative, you know, for people even on the right is disrupted when you have the image of a parent and a child being torn apart from each other. Yeah, everybody's been a scared child alone at some point. Yeah, and so many people have been parents. I mean, I've seen people posting on Instagram about, um, you know, they're like laying in bed with their kid and saying, I can't imagine, you know, I would do anything for my child. I can't imagine my child being taken from me and put into a um, foster agency without me. 
I think one thing I saw in the coverage was a real willingness to not necessarily take a side as an activist, but to very clearly point out where the administration was lying or was misrepresenting what was going on, right? They kept blaming this on, this is the law, the Democrats in Congress need to change the law. And journalists were very good about making clear, this is not the law, this is a choice, a policy choice by the administration. And that felt in some ways different than some of the coverage that's happened before. In that they were able to say, like, this is not up to Congress. Trump could change this in an instant. Yeah. I mean, I I have here a few headlines from uh, here's Politico. Trump falsely claimed for days he couldn't end family separations from The New York Times. Trump falsely claims from The New York Post. Trump falsely claims from The Hill. Trump falsely claims this sort of phrasing in headlines, especially, is something that people have keyed on before, as opposed to just quoting we can't end border separation, Trump says, right? These organizations seem to be taking a harder line from the top saying, no, this is the way things are. This isn't just a statement that operates in a vacuum. There's real implications here. And here's how the administration is lying to you. Yeah. I mean, I think it is worth pointing out that this, it is a courageous stand on the part of news organizations, but it's also like the easiest one that they could take because so many people in the GOP were also Uh, against this. So I'll be impressed when all of these news organizations do that for for, um, an issue that is more polarized. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like there was, again, broad opposition to this policy across almost every demographic group except Republicans, which uh, was the only group to narrowly approve the policy. Um, I want to get into a little bit some of those media personalities and outlets that didn't take a pretty hard line on this. Is there Uh, anyone besides Fox News? There were certainly, you know, the bright parts of the world, some of the the digital pro-Trump figures. Um, But yeah, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is Fox News, right? From the evening opinion host to Fox and Friends, we're talking about these opinion figures who carry huge weight uh, among the cable news viewing public. And they seemed a little bit uncertain of how to approach this. There was a lot of blaming of Democrats. There was, I watched Tucker Carlson say, well, all these people telling you that they care about children, those on the left, well, what about abortion? And then it went into 10 minutes about an abortion debate, completely moved away from what was going on on the border. There really didn't seem to be uh, messaging coming from the top, right? Kirsten Nielsen was saying, we don't have a policy of separating children at the border, period, which just wasn't true. Yeah, I mean, Fox is in such a interesting and difficult position because they've basically decided that they are Trump's party. I mean, they're more loyal to Trump than the GOP, for sure. And when you're loyal to Trump, it puts you in terrible situations because whenever he contradicts himself, you're found having to uh, explain that and, and justify it. So you have all these awkward moments on Fox where, I mean, you were telling me about the this Hannity interview where he just had to, I mean, you should explain it, but that he just had to end the interview because it was, he was being put in too awkward of a position between a rock and a hard place, basically. Yeah, what you're talking about is a Geraldo interview uh, from Tuesday night. 
And basically, Geraldo came on and said, history will judge us, Sean, on what we're doing now. We have to take a stand. We have to care about something. Cable news is so cheesy. <laughs> well, uh, I won't disagree I mean, I think that. history will judge us, but it's so cheesy to go on and say that. Yeah. Um, it was it was Geraldo coming on in all of his righteous anger, and it did put Hannity was taken aback and kind of just said, we'll, we'll cut to commercial here. And then you had other figures like Corey Lewandowski. A 10-year-old girl with Down syndrome who was taken from her mother and put in a cage. Wah, I wah. read about a, a, did you say want, want to a 10-year-old with Down syndrome what being I taken from her mother? What I said is you can pick anything How you want you? Up, but the bottom How line is very... That was him responding to reports of a, a child with Down syndrome ripped away from her parents and the, the quote that made its way around the internet and cable news was womp womp, right? There is... An aspect of being pot committed here that, yeah, it does place Fox and some of its commentators in this terrible position where they're forced to defend indefensible policies. And then they have, well, and then they have to reverse their policies a day later. I didn't look at Fox this morning, for instance. What what has been their explanation on Trump's uh, change of heart? Well, he's being compassionate. Uh huh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think there's. On one hand, this idea that, all right, he's taken the compassionate route, but it's still on Democrats to change things. God, they're just like PR people now rather than, I mean, not that they have ever been anything besides that, but it's it's like the problem of being a PR person for a horrible celebrity. Well, there's also an aspect of ignoring the issue. Um, there was a story in Politico about FoxNews.com, how people going to that website weren't reading their immigration yeah, stories. I they had that. straight immigration stories and people just weren't reading it. So in some ways, it's a response to their viewers also. Well, I mean, I wondered about that. So what Pete's referring to is reports from somebody at Fox News on the inside that that their uh, readers online weren't clicking on the stories about the family separation. So they instead they re-upped like something about like I don't know, it was like Clinton emails or something Peter Strzok's, like that. Peter uh, text messages. Right. Um, and Comey and, and that that's what their um, readership really wants. I mean, <clears throat> I wonder if we should take that at face value just because it's so the, – the readership that anyone gets online is so dependent on how things are promoted on their social media accounts that I could easily see a situation in which – the um, social media editor or, you know, somebody there basically made a decision not to spend money to promote a certain story, for instance, on Facebook or, you know, something like that, where because it didn't take off on social media, it didn't get traffic on the website. And then that was the reason. I mean, this is total speculation, but but this these figures about reader attention are things that... Um, there's a reason that most news organizations try to use like human editor judgment rather than numbers to make a decision about how to curate um, what people should be looking at. I'm sure it also goes to what they've conditioned their readers to expect, right? They have an audience that isn't really interested in hearing about criticisms of the president. They want to hear about conspiracies to take him down and good news about jobs and that sort of coverage. So people going to Fox News, even if they're not coming through social feeds, aren't really interested in hearing bad news about Trump, right? They want right. the good stuff or they want to know who's out to get him. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of depressing for Fox in a way. Like, I can, they're huge victims of the horrible news cycle and, and how 
like clickbait and attention works and victims of their own success in driving a narrative right and exactly that they're sort of now they're stuck in this horrible position (laughs) i keep saying that but it's so true it's like fox really i i don't know you know after trump's presidency ends whether it's in two years or six years um how they're going to recover their own brand. I mean, it's also worth noting that the folks on the Fox Entertainment side are now starting to speak out. Like the, is it the director or the producer of Modern Family? The creator of Modern Family. The creator of Modern Family. Seth McFarlane from Family Guy. Yeah, there are these people who are connected to the entertainment side of Fox, at least for now. That, that will change after either Disney or Comcast buys it. But this is causing problems for the Murdochs. Yeah, I mean, so the the creator of Modern Family is basically saying we're going to leave Fox after our contract is over. So it'll be an interesting thing to watch as time goes on to see how far this erodes for them. Definitely. Let's shift gears away from uh, the pro-Trump media to some of the real great The reporting. anti-Trump media. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure they would call it that. Uh, but there was some great reporting here. And one thing that struck me in watching this coverage unfold over the last week is just how important pictures and audio can be in getting across messages to the public. Um, we saw this, of course, with the ProPublica audio of children who had been separated from their parents, sobbing. This was obtained by ProPublica. It was one of the first big pieces over this past weekend that really seemed to break through. And that wasn't the only piece of audio that was in the news this week. The New York Times had an interview with Stephen Miller, one of the architects of the Trump immigration policy, that they wanted to play on their podcast, The Daily. The White House refused to grant that permission, and the Times agreed with it, which is a whole nother discussion uh, about media ethics and how all of this works. But you understand why the White House wouldn't want Miller's voice, either talking flippantly or callously about words that the Times put in print, uh, they wouldn't want that played for millions of people to hear. Yeah, I can understand it. I mean, Stephen Miller has been one of, I mean, I can understand it from the White House's perspective. I can't really understand it from the Times perspective, to be honest. But I can understand the White House not wanting Stephen Miller on just because he is one of the harshest proponents of this. He is the one who seems to have no sympathy whatsoever. So even if they wanted to continue the policy, I think it would be a bad look for them to have his his voice on. Right. And then there's the question of images, which the government has tried to restrict. Reporters who have gone into these detention facilities haven't been able to take pictures. The government has distributed some pictures. Uh, news which are undated. Right. Undated and only showing for the most part, I believe, male children, um, boys, no women, no infants. The New York Times has decided not to run these pictures because they consider them government propaganda. Yeah, I think it's an impressive move on the Times' part. And I think it sort of opens up an opportunity. You could You could see, theoretically, news organizations sort of banding together and pushing the administration to allow photojournalists in. Um, unfortunately, I think the Times was 
maybe the only people who didn't run it. There were people who ran it with qualifications and very clear captions. Um, but to my mind, like, we have no idea when these are from. They, they could be from years ago. We just don't know. Right, and that's the problem when you give over control to the government. But again, I think it speaks to the power of images. Uh, so these different mediums, we obviously deal in print almost all the time, with the exception of this podcast. But having people's voices broadcast over airwaves or online or wherever, having images or video of what's actually going on, it just does carry different weight. Uh, that's something worth remembering as we do our print stories. Yeah, I think this is also, we were talking about sort of breaking through um, at the beginning of this, and it's so difficult in print. I think this has also been the success of podcasting, as you're saying, but it's so difficult to to get people's attention and to give them a, a space. Like even if you're skimming something, you don't really have space to emotionally respond to it right then and there. You need to have the time with an audio recording or with an image where you can just linger on it for a second. And I think that's been part of the power of the images here. I mean, I do have one criticism of yeah, I this to get whole to that. moment. Of, of we're giving the press a lot of credit for bringing pressure to bear here, but what do you, what do you think? I mean, the the flip side of using all of these emotional um, the the emotional recordings and uh, you know around our office we had shared yesterday a photographer's work who was taking photos he was taking photos of. Um, toys that were being thrown away by ice, I believe. Um, and he sort of got them out of the trash and photographed them one by one. This is incredibly moving images. In an ideal world, I think that the media would be operating in such a way that we don't need the emotional stimulation in order to care about things. I sort of think it's the world that we're living in now, but I think it's worth pointing out that we have been able to hype a particular moment and I think, um, I was saying this to you earlier, that this whole week has been a huge success of um, breaking news and of impactful news that it sort of shows what can go really well when we have a really quick response to something. But on the other hand, like it has been a failure of long-term news. It, we have known, um, we have known for years that this is, going to be it for two years that this is going to be one of Trump's main talking points, not just talking points, action points, uh, border security and immigration. And the fact that we didn't have teams already down at the border and people weren't prepared and that people didn't already have sources who were, you know, experts on immigration and that kind of thing. And that Reporters were also pretty unprepared for like Trump's talking points about how all of this started on the Obama under the Obama administration. It started before the Obama administration. There, there's just a way in which um, there's so much more to the story than than what's happened this week that the media has been somewhat unprepared to address. That's interesting because I, I do think there has been some really good coverage, not just of the Trump administration and its plans and what's already been going on at the border, but back during the Obama years when you had all of the um, unaccompanied minors showing up at the border. There were mm -hmm. real good reporting pieces there. 
I, I always wonder in this I guess situation. what I mean is that there hasn't been consistent reporting. It's like it happens then mm-hmm. and it happens now. And then in between, we have no idea. We have no idea who's covering it. We have no idea who's involved. I wonder how much of that is our fault. Because, I, again, I, I think there have been, you know, BuzzFeed has had two reporters, one of whom has been with the, that caravan that was traveling up through Central America into Mexico. Um, places like the Texas Tribune and the Houston Chronicle do good work on immigration it doesn't certainly make the no, nightly news, um, and and we kind of have our cycles driven by cable news and nightly news and the New York Times front page and something that's on page A sixteen doesn't get the attention that A one does. But but I do think you're right in that we're going to have a challenge going forward because Trump's executive order doesn't solve things. It doesn't reunite the children who have already been separated. It is going to be challenged in court because all he's doing now is saying, yeah, we're not going to separate them. We're going to keep parents and children together in detention. Right. It pretty directly conflicts with any ability. Yeah, it directly conflicts with the bureaucracy of like being able to get people through the system in 20 days. Right. And something I'm really interested to watch is, as we give the press credit for their work over the last week specifically, as you mentioned, this breaking news event, short period of time, what is going to happen in two weeks? What's this? What's coverage going to look like in a month when this problem is still going to be there and there will still be an administration in place who has a, a very firm and extreme view on what should happen to people trying to get into this country? I don't know. Are you confident in that we're going to rise to the occasion then? I think we'll rise to the occasions as they come up, but I I sort of want to posit a new kind of news story, like a new right, a new it. subcategory of news story that I'm going to call the flashcard story, which is basically like I keep reading these things that are essentially every paragraph is a reminder of something else that Trump Trump has done, and so you get them with like these are all the different times that. Trump was racist toward immigrants. I saw, you know, one of the stories you shared with me mm-hmm. um, earlier today was about that. Like, you know, two years ago he called them uh, animals rapists, and rapists. We're not and, sending our best people. We got vermin earlier this week. Right, and so what we have, like. Part of the media's job right now is not just to supply people with news, it's to allow people to remember the news that's happened over the past two years and to format it in a more digestible way because we forget. We forget a lot. There's so much that's happened, it's impossible not to, right? That's an interesting, the ability to provide context, not even like historical context like the Bush and Obama administrations, but what happened last summer. Yeah, it, the news cycle is unbelievable. It's an uh, it's an unbelievable mountain to serve. Like I, somehow we're getting through this, but every day it's it's stunning. Yeah. You know, our our social media editor um, often opens the morning meeting by saying, "Oh, that was a crazy week of news yesterday." Yeah, I mean, think about this fact: the Singapore summit with Kim Jong Un was ten days ago, which feels like <laughs> months. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, And the ability, what you're talking about, the ability of news organizations to stay on top of what we all agree right now is an incredibly important story as other incredibly important or salacious or, you know, timely stories arise, that's going to be a challenge. I also think it's going to be a challenge on immigration to expand this beyond the geographic space of the border because it's very easy to say, like, 
okay, report like reporting team, go to this detention center. It's not so easy when that's happening in like airports and, you know, it's it's about Syrian refugees rather than um, people crossing the southern border. Yeah, you mentioned that there are uh, children in New York right now who have been brought in from Flown the southern in. border. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be tough. And it's, again, easy when everybody's in McAllen, Texas, or congregated right along the border at, at certain detention centers. But this is going to be a problem that stretches across the country. And that makes it much harder to cover. It also really raises the importance of local news outlets. Very true. That was our show. Thanks for kicking it with us. Thanks to Noska for being here to talk everything over with me. Thanks for having me here to kick it. Please check out all the great work we've got up at CJR.org, some of it on this coverage of the border. And we'll see you next week.